Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We're a podcast dedicated and devoted to entrepreneurs, founders, and startups everywhere. Uh, we also have a podcast called The Angel, which is the Angel, which is um, more focused on angels, VCs, family offices, people uh, with the money. So we uh, urge you to look at that one, to rate and uh, uh, both these podcasts, to share them. We're on all the major platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Audible, and about 10 others. Plus, we're, you can see the video and um, also uh, the audio on Spotify and on YouTube. So take a look, rate us, and um, tell your friends. Uh, we're, we're really uh, getting up there with uh, when we send this out by email. Um, we're getting over 4,000 opens, which is pretty amazing. So we're really getting getting some great momentum. Um, today, I want to introduce Raviv Karam uh, to, the, to, to you and to the podcast. Welcome, uh, Raviv. Great to have you. Thank you, Michael. Great to be here. He is a go-to-market operations expert, a go-to-market uh, strategic uh, consultant and um, uh, veteran, I guess I could say, from... Uh, from Israel, who has now moved to New York City. Uh, how's the transition going so far? It's going great, really. We just made it, made it here to Astoria, which is a great area. I'm not sure if you, too many of you are familiar with it. And I'm loving every minute of it. Well, I am. I, I don't know if I said this on this, but I, I just began a stint as entrepreneur in residence at WeWork, which is in Long Island City. So uh, I have been, been spending quite a bit of time in Queens. Uh, at what they call Gotham Center. So, yeah, it's a really, that whole area, Queens, uh, Forest Hills, really um, underrated, particularly if you're a Manhattan chauvinist like me, because I grew up in Manhattan. But lots of great things going on in Queens and very easy to get into the city. So you made this big move um, after working at a, a, a bunch of different places, Teammate, uh, Tech7, also uh, LEC Consultants. We'll talk about all of those. But what, let's start with the present. What got you, made you, uh, uh, convinced you to move to New York? And I know your wife is a dancer. I'm sure that had something to do with it. That's but, right. But what did you see here as being opportunity beyond, um, let's call it go-to-market opportunity, beyond what was happening in Israel? Yeah, so um, I find that the center, pretty much the center of the tech uh, an innovation scene in the in the world pretty much is here in New York. And I really look forward to an opportunity to work with the very best uh, in this field. Um, I've worked in various verticals uh, throughout my career, uh, lately data and cybersecurity. And I feel that this is the place to be if you want to join the best. And uh, what what are you planning? Do you think you might try a startup? Um, what, 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 how, how, and you know, I should mention you and I met about two months ago. So we've been, we've had about two months. You've had about two months to sort of get your feet on the ground. What, what is, uh, what are you starting to think you might do? Yeah. So right now uh, I finally have a first break from work in years. Um, so I started looking at the space of, you know, AI and, all these new technologies that are popping up right now, and I've started working on something of my own. Um, I'll be more specific later on, maybe, um, but it's very exciting, uh, and it's in uh, in a very fast-moving like uh, domain right now. Let me ask you. Uh, I want to talk about Israel quite a bit here, but what what is the biggest difference between trying to do that a startup in New York City versus in Israel? 
Uh, you can start a startup in Israel, no problem. Um, see, Israel is a great uh, bed for, for startups and entrepreneurship. The tech ecosystem in Israel is one, are one of the best in the world, uh, pretty much, specifically in Tel Aviv and all across Israel. You have really great minds and people working really hard to, be, to build leading companies uh, in their, in their uh, field. And, well, these are, both are great places to do this, but I felt that here I could get a bigger, a bigger jump and also, this was an opportunity for me to try a whole new area, a whole new uh, country that is very exciting uh, to be here, yeah. A whole new country. It's all there waiting for you. It's, uh, we call it the American dream. So let's, let's talk about Israel. And um, Israel's are, is, Israelis, um, I think, are really, really have the reputation of being very sharp, aggressive business people um, and being very smart, too. Um, is that why Israel is a good place for startups? Because there's for the number of for number of people per capita, the number of startups seems very high. So is that because the government encourages it, or, or is it something in the Israeli national psyche? There is uh, absolutely there's a there's a few elements that contribute to that. Um, first of all, Israeli people are very driven. We are we want to be the best. At every field, you can see people really driving and pushing themselves forward uh, in terms of mentality. So that's just that's that's just the start of it. Secondly, you have an entire ecosystem that pushes um, entrepreneurs and, and people altogether to innovate. Um, you have a very unique uh, situation in terms of the uh, um, army perspective, in terms of the neighboring countries. So you have very strong elite units in the army that are very innovative uh, in terms of security, cybersecurity, in terms of intelligence. Um, in terms of pushing the envelope in their capabilities every day and keeping Israelis safe. Uh, you also have very strong government uh, backing for startups. Uh, I think one of the, the leading um, uh, investment investors in R&D uh, is the country like in the world. Um, we are leading that in terms of percentage from the GDP, I think, uh, as well. And you also have a very sense of like communal assistance uh, to Israeli and the ecosystems, you have a num number of companies that really try to, to create partnerships and to create synergy of what you have because you're coming from a small country uh, and you need to push yourself ahead uh, of the competition. So um, it's a very assistive approach that we all share. And um, uh, you served in the military, virtually all Israelis serve in the military as they're, as they're growing up. Uh, what did you do? I was in a special operations unit, uh, an elite commander unit in the army. Uh, and, and what can you tell us about that without getting in trouble? Getting in trouble. <laughs> so I was in uh, a commanding um, position. So I was in like a, um, a combat position in the army, not a technological position, not, not, not of that sort. Uh, we did have a technological element inside our unit. Uh, it's a combat engineering unit uh, called Yahalom. Uh, you can read about it in the, in the internet. Um, and I was a uh, um, combat fighter there. And I, let's say I, uh, I, had I had experience in very difficult situations and very uh, high stakes situations, uh, moving very fast and very uh, uh, decisiveness, decisively. Um, so I think that really grew me and made me uh, very, very strong today mentality and in my mental sense of, of that. Um, I was, I'm very capable of handling 
difficult, ambiguous situations and and pushing through them, no matter what. That's a good definition of entrepreneurship. Is, is the company you're planning to start, is that your first company? That will be my first company, yes. Oh, interesting. So let's talk about what you did in Israel. You worked at a number of firms. Let's start with Tech7. You, you, it's Tech7 Venture Studio. And mm -hmm. specifically about your go-to-market, your GTM expertise, it's, um, it's a foundry model. Tell me what a foundry model is. Start. So the Tech Seven, the Foundry model is actually for teammates. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. But Tech Seven is a venture studio that is working to promote the southern uh, ecosystem, high-tech and entrepreneurial ecosystem of Israel. So I did that. I built an entrepreneurship program and led it uh, end to end. And also, I was a marketing manager there, so helping founders and entrepreneurs and tech companies um, uh, do some collaborations together meet up together, um, acceleration programs. Um, that was a very interesting step, definitely. And, and um, uh, what, what kind of companies do you see in Israel? Um, I, obviously, a lot of tech companies, but is there anything unique or uh, characteristics that might be different than in other countries? Yeah, so we have a very strong uh, food tech ecosystem and agri-tech as well. Uh, we have Israel is very uniquely positioned in the world in terms of its climate. So you have a very large desert area that builds uh, amazing agri-tech and uh, desert tech companies. Also uh, in the southern part, you also have a very strong tech ecosystem uh, and and technological abilities. Let's say like talent um, from the army and from other uh, sources that contribute to the fintech ecosystem, to the cybersecurity and data uh, AI ecosystem. So. We have a group of talent that is, let's say, per capita, I think we have the most talent that you would see in the world. Yes, we were talking about that before. So when did you begin to focus on uh, go-to-market expertise? Yeah, so right after Tech7, I joined LEC, a management consulting firm, which focuses on innovation and also on go-to-market for startups, for, uh, for uh, companies that looking to, to grow in their market. So I worked a lot with startup on their strategic planning, uh, complete go-to-market uh, tactics from really high overview to what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and also with larger corporations and really improving processes, operational efficiency and inducing uh, innovation into their organizations, either through M&A or venture investments or through uh, innovative processes within the organization. And I, I like to say- So there- Yeah. yeah. Keep going, keep going. My, my bad. Uh, so I, I, no, no problem. So just I wanted to add there. So uh, there I was a strategy consultant, um, but also uh, eventually I became a sector manager. So I led uh, projects, teams, and like the sales and business development efforts of my firm in the agri-food tech domain. Oh, okay. Um, and, and managed to really build out that uh, firm's reputation as a domain leader at that yeah. time. And what, um, how do you define go to market? What does that mean? Um, we hear it, we hear the phrase. Yeah. Um, I think you might be the first go to market specialist we've had on the accelerator, which is great. Uh, maybe we should have more, but what, 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 um, what is the definition of go to market in your, in your view? How should we think of yeah, this? Yeah, sure. So go to market is all the aspects of taking your product and pushing it to customers. Um, bringing it to customers, meaning finding the right value uh, proposition and really solving problems for the customers 
and being able to deliver it to them in the most efficient, uh, scalable, um, and you can say even uh, in joyful way for them to consume it. So what are the, okay, so let me, let me sort of try to put this in plain, plain terms. So a company has, a founder has an idea, co-founder perhaps, they have an idea. They kind of get it going. Um, they have, I assume, have an MVP that they've kind of carried out, uh, some kind of team. But uh, now, now this is really the moment of truth, isn't it? Because they have to go to, they have to, they have to go to market. They have to get out there. So, what do you do first of all to help them define their market and define their customer? I would think that would be important. Exactly. So, you first you try, you find a, a problem that needs solving, okay, and then you need to understand who are you solving this problem for. So, after you build that initial MVP, you have to then validate that you did solve the problem and that you are aiming at the, the right target audience. So the next stage is to really analyze and try to build um, uh, metrics and validations and even like tests that you can prove that your product is, uh, has the right fit to the market it aims for. So product market fit, right? So, so mm -hmm, exactly. Um, give us a couple of, maybe give us an example of one that worked really well and then maybe one that didn't work and, and, and what's the difference between the two? Yeah, so having a product product market fit is not a very like it's not a static situation. You always have to move and adjust your your services, your offerings, your products to the market. Um, uh, not so well uh, product market fit is something that you lose. You don't being you don't able to really uh, consistently con convince clients to to purchase your product or service, right? That you lose them along the way or you're not focused enough. When you have a good product market fit, you will continuously sell your product and be able to um, to provide more value to customers as you progress and you provide value to more customers and more and better value as you go forward. So give me an example of one company that did that, that you worked with, if you can think of one. Sure. Um, I can think of one in Teammate and we'll dive into that because that's a very fascinating company to, that I've worked in. Um, so one company was really struggling with their product market fit to really understand what their uh, customers are uh, looking for uh, in this solution. Why so they the, didn't, where, what, what was the essence of the struggle? Why is that a struggle for some companies? What's the problem there? Yeah, because sometimes you don't really know what the customers want. And even the customers themselves don't really know what they want. Mm -hmm. They don't know uh, how to explain and to, to really convey the, um, their, their pains, what they're suffering from. So it's not easy to really understand that and, and have that pinpointed correctly at the first go. It's usually something that will take a few months to a year or maybe more. Uh, and as I mentioned, continuously to do, to do so, uh, to perfect your offering. Hmm. Um, so so um, how about an example? So can you think of a specific company or a specific product? Or I, I'm looking for um, examples. Um, of of, uh, yeah. of of a of a product company sure. that's I, had that struggle and then kind of worked through it and how you work through it. Exactly. So I, just, I won't give out any names, but I'll give the domain that this company has worked in. If that's alright with you. I, I, of course, you'll notice I have a habit of like repeating the same question until I get an answer. So yeah, I, I'm persistent that way. So yeah, so tell me. Yeah. So there's this company um, working in the application security space that has. 
Um, well, they've done quite successfully initially. They have built a product which is great. It looked good, but it did, they didn't manage to really um, catch the needs of the customers in terms of what they're saying to them. They understood what their product does. They think they do, the customers, but they didn't manage to see the value. So what I've done there is to analyze uh, sales calls, to really hear what the customers have to say, understand their pains, and focus the offering and messaging, um, and to really, to really um, hold all the different um, aspects of these pains they're trying to solve, and understanding, pinpointing, which kind of customers should you focus uh, that are the right focus for this company. And you actually really sat over the shoulder of, uh, of the representatives and, and listened to the call, or did you record the calls? How did you do that? So you had a recording on, uh, of, of some of the calls, indeed, yes. And you were able to really um, um, to see the text as you go along. You have some options for that as well. So I, with looking for specific, very specific issues and, and focusing on, on uh, different elements, I was able to, to understand what is the right messaging? And then you see that today, the company has shifted its messaging towards my um, what I offered them to do, and they managed to significantly grow, like more than tripling the revenue stream uh, ever, ever since. And how did they shift? What, what did they shift to and from? They shift from being more technical, from, from a very technical perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's being less, trying to be less technical and less, uh, um, uh, educative to the customers and really being to putting it in very plain terms and, and allowing the companies to have confidence. This is a cybersecurity company. So uh, companies that uh, use these tools really look for confidence in their uh, ability to innovate and to develop new products. And a lot of times it's very difficult to, to, to do so. Um, and you're not sure where an attacker might, might come from. So you're trying to get uh, all the coverage that you can, and you're not even sure uh, exactly what kind of tool you need to have, what kind of, of uh, abilities you need to have to, to be able to, uh, uh, to handle these kinds of threats. So, yeah. It's interesting. Um, so how about an example of uh, a company where uh, they went to market, the go-to-market situation, um, and they were unable to make, I guess it's about making the product market fit, right? So they were unable to make the product market fit. Tell us and give us an example of that if you have one and, and also um, why that was so hard and why that's so hard for companies. Um, yeah, so sometimes companies really try to, to educate their market too heavily. They're trying to build something that the market doesn't even know they need. And that's a very, very hard effort to do because you need to invest your efforts not only in reaching those customers, them finding you, them knowing about you, but to make them understand what you're trying to do. So many companies, most companies fail, actually, like around 97% of tech companies or startups altogether fail, not because of technology or their solution not being good enough. It's about not being able to convey their message um, to the customers. And I, I call that a spinach company. You, you, you got to eat this. It'll be good for you, but it doesn't taste very good sometimes. So, but, <laughs> yeah. but okay, I'm going to do it again. Raviv, you're, you know, you're hard to pin down, but give me a specific example of a company or, you know, um, that you can talk about that where that, where that was a problem. And, and what, given that there's a problem, you're an expert in this. I'm sure there was kind of a fix of some kind. 
but I guess the question might be, why is it hard for companies to fix these problems? They don't seem insurmountable. So what's the difficulty? Um, the difficulty I find uh, mostly, and forgive me for not giving a, for not naming a company, but you the difficulty have, that I... You don't have to name them. You can just talk more in general terms, but just give us a flavor of it. Exactly. So um, what usually makes a company fail in this aspect is that they're pretty much falling in love with their solution rather than and focusing on the problem they're trying to solve. Um, I can give an example, actually, like, which is a really interesting. It's a, it's a known example of McDonald's. So they, a while back, they have created this milkshake, right? They've created this milkshake and it was, it was flavorful. The flavor was really good, but customers didn't buy. They tried to market it for, uh, for kids. They thought they, who, who drinks milkshake? Kids, of course. And they sold very little amounts. And what they tried to do is, okay, let's, let's try to understand what uh, these, customer, these products actually do sell, the milkshakes. And they found that grown people, truck drivers, are the one who buy them in the late afternoon hours. What they figured out is that they, these late afternoon and also morning hours, that these drivers use this as a, a meal for them because it has a lot of uh, nutrients. It could be with, it was meant to be healthy as well. Um, and what they did is they shifted their solution to accommodate that need of having a quick on-the-go meal um, for, uh, for adults. And they created it more, they changed the solution to be more thick. The milkshake was thicker. It held more nutrients. It was a whole, a whole breakfast or afternoon lunch um, that you can get in a cup and just drive with. Mm -hmm. And their sales skyrocketed. They managed to sell a thousand times more than they initially did. Oh, interesting. And so, so um, it seems that um, one common thread in, in the problem of going to market is... Uh, or let's call it an approach too, is that you've mentioned it in a couple of different ways, but in the, in the companies that struggle or even companies that need to pivot, they, it, maybe they're not listening to their customers. Like you said, the, you know, you had to listen to the phone calls. It's like so much of it is listening to your customers, isn't it? They, they, they won't always give you the answer, but they will certainly tell you what isn't the answer, in my opinion. What do you think? Yes, it's all about listening to customers and trying to understand and having the right metrics to understand that you are going in the right direction. What I mean is you hear a certain uh, view, point of view of a, one type of customer, but maybe it's the wrong one that you're really aiming for. Um, and secondly, customers um, sometimes say what they want, but they don't actually fall through on that. They say they want this, but they actually buy something different. So it's very good to have to also listen to the customers having their perspective, um, but being driven to not only go on this direction, but to have these metrics or let's say um, um, like uh, stopping points where you say, okay, this is not working. I need to change something different or to, or to know that something is working and then you push forward and understanding why this is working and not just that it is. Yeah. And also this, this tendency that all entrepreneurs have, I think to fall in love with their, product um, and to think that, you know, the spinach thing, to think that people need this, it'll be good for them if only they could see rather than sort of doing it the other way around, starting with the customers and having that drive a lot of your decisions. So let's let's circle back to um, uh, Raviv Karam being in New York 
um, starting a company. So um, did you come to New York with a specific idea of starting a company? Obviously, you could get a job in a number of different ways, go to market, accelerators, foundries. Oh, we never did talk about foundries. So tell me what a, tell me what a foundry yeah. is. Tell me what that is. Um, yeah, sure. So a foundry model, like the teammate where I was a strategy manager in my last role, uh, teammate is a venture capital firm that doesn't only invest in companies. It also ideates and builds companies from scratch. So um, this goes well actually with our last uh, last conversation here. So what it does is trying to validate um, the idea for a company before it even builds it. So you have a team of experts working in enterprise software, which is where I was, but also FinTech and digital health that are dedicated to looking for opportunities to build companies and then validating them from the business, mm -hmm. technological and market point of view while looking for entrepreneurs that can start this company. Mm. So there I was doing ideation, exploring new opportunities and validating from the business standpoint, also helping existing portfolio companies working day to day with the founders to really uh, perfect their go to market and understand their customer needs. Uh, and then of course, convey their products in the right messaging. And lastly, doing operations like fundraising for the fund, uh, also improving strategic internal strategic processes, um, so uh, you have an entire point of view of uh, validation uh, for the idea and product before you even get going. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very a very interesting model. I don't think we've quite talked about it on the show before, so I'm happy to I'm happy to hear about it. So um, uh, circling back as before to New York City, um, what would you like to see happen while you're in New York? Other than getting, yeah, so, let's get your wife on Broadway for sure. But other than that, um, what, what, <laughs> what, what are you thinking? What would be the right, the, 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 a nice outcome for you? Yeah, so um, this company that I'm working on um, has, has been progressing pretty nicely. We have a tech partner, started building this and really validating this with the customers as well. So we're seeing that we are going on the right direction. Um, and I really will hope to look to see that succeed as well. But I'm also working on different, uh, uh, different aspects like getting to know people here. Uh, I've met with uh, well over 100 people at this point uh, here in the New York uh, ecosystem tech scene and also non-tech, uh, also uh, um, financial services and very different areas. Um, and I'm looking to uh, get to know new people that are just great people to meet, you know, having a beer and really uh, starting this second chapter. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Um, I want to remind our listeners, this is the Accelerator Podcast with Michael Conniff. That is me. We're on all the major podcast platforms, also audio and video on Spotify and YouTube. Make sure to rank us, rate us, like us, share us, uh, participate in all in every way you can. We love your comments. Um, you should also know that we're using Substack to deliver it by an email newsletter. That's a new thing. Um, I told you about WeWork, so a lot going on here, but um, we're also very grateful to have um, uh, someone um, who really knows his stuff. Uh, and I want to thank you, Raviv uh, Karum, for being with us here on The Accelerator. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Con Michael. And uh, best, of, best of luck in, in, uh, in, the, in the U.S. Um, I don't know if you've heard this, but it, it is still the greatest country in the world. Don't, don't believe otherwise. 
and uh, <laughs> and uh, nobody's invented a better one. Uh, though, though Israel, you know, Israel's pretty interesting too. Um, it has some of the same problems. So uh, we, we obviously have a lot in common and are uh, close allies almost all the time. So great, thanks for being here. And um, uh, we look forward to seeing how your journey continues. Thank you very much, Michael. And thanks, thanks to everybody out there for listening. Remember, we'll be back with another podcast before you know it.